Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Matthew chapter 21, if you would. Matthew chapter 21. What did, uh, what did David say in Psalm 122? One, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let's say that together. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Paul told Timothy that the local church is the house of God. It's the place where we meet with God in a special way. You can meet with God outside the local church, of course. You can meet with God in your personal devotional time, of course. But there's something special about church. There's something special about the local church. You can get, you can, uh, get close to God in other settings, of course. But there's a special way that we meet with God every time we meet together. And so this is a special meeting. It's my honor to speak to you. And this is a New Year topic. I pray it'll be a blessing to you. The title of the message is A Divine Inspection. A Divine Inspection. Let's look at verses 12 and 13. And then we'll look at verses 17 through 20. Verses 12 and 13 of Matthew 21. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, it is written, would you read this with me? My house shall be called the house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. Boy, that's a serious statement. Jesus coming into the temple says, you've made my house, you've made my house a den of thieves. It looks like it's all about money here. Now let's look at verses 17 through 20. And he left them and went out into the city, out of the city into Bethany, and he lodged there. Now in the morning, as he returned into the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon, but leaves only, and said unto it, Let no fruit grow on thee, henceforward forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how soon is the fig tree withered away? One of the hardest things to do in life is to evaluate ourselves. It's a challenge. We tend to have a biased view of ourselves, don't we? And so one of the most challenging things to do is to evaluate ourselves. We need God's help. We need God's help. And a passage like this in the new year will be a great benefit to us. You see, we see in the passage a divine inspection. In the two accounts before us, the cleansing of the temple and the cursing of the fig tree, we see Jesus giving his evaluation of the people of God at that time, the nation of Israel, of their activity in the temple. And his statements are indicative of the corrupt condition that had come over the nation and the consequences of such corruption. And so he walks into the temple and gives his assessment. After his visit to the temple, he sees a fig tree and their symbolism as he curses the fig tree. And our thought this morning, a simple thought, is if Jesus were to make a personal, physical visit today, how would he evaluate us? If he were to make a personal, physical visit 
inspection today of our nation. If you were to make a personal, physical visit of our church, if he were to come to our homes today, and of course, if he were to come to us personally and sit down physically, personally, and say, let's have a talk, what would be the extent of his evaluation? What would he say? That's our thought. And as we see his evaluation here and these negative traits that had come over the nation of Israel, we need to, in the new year, who's with me out there? We need to pray and prepare against these things. These things displease Jesus. And if we love Jesus and we want to serve Jesus, then we need to pray against and prepare against these things in our life. And so that's... That's the topic today. Let's look at these characteristics of corruption and ask God to purify us so that we can meet his approval this year. Let's ask him to purify us individually. Let's pray for our church. And of course, let's pray for our nation. First of all, I want you to notice in the passage that Jesus found in the temple, he found a spirit of materialism. He found a spirit of what, everyone? Materialism. We all know what materialism is, right? Materialism is when we value money and possessions as the highest good. Or, we could say it this way, when we prioritize money and possessions above God and obedience to God, that's when we have a materialistic mindset. And so how do we see this in the passage? Look at verse 12 again. And Jesus went into the temple of God. It seems like there were two instances where Jesus went into the temple and did this. He cast out all of them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. The desire for money obviously had corrupted the ministry of the temple. It's not that selling animals was a wrong thing. People needed animals for sacrifice. Some would come, this is how I understand it, okay? Some would come with their animals and, uh, and those that were money changers would take advantage of them and because you could not bring an animal with a blemish. So they would make up this mysterious blemish or they would say that animal's not acceptable but we have one over here that we could give. So I read that that was going on in some instances that they would, they would use the people that way. Oh, by the way, then they would take the blemished animal and sell it later for a profit. Another thing they do, it says they were money changers. So this was a simple thing. They would use foreign currency all right, and exchange at a, at a high rate and at an outrageous rate and then they would pocket the difference, right? They were doing this in the house of God. They were making merchandise of the people in the house of God. So Jesus walks in and says, I can't stand for this and he overthrows the tables and he, he makes a statement. A severe indictment. The Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil. Materialism is a great corrupting influence. Now God's not against the accumulation of wealth. Of course he's not. 
There's many verses in the Bible that, that promote that positively. God's all for that. God has created the ability to work. God has created the ability to acquire wealth. God wants us to use our wealth in his kingdom for his service. So God's not against that. Um, I haven't checked this out personally myself, but I believe there's over 2,000 verses in the Bible. I'm just going to trust somebody else on that. There's over 2,000 verses in the Bible about money, wealth, and possessions. You know why that is? Because it's one of the most tangible expressions of our faith. How we use our money, how we view money, is one of the greatest tests of our character and our view of God. Where your treasure is, there will your, will your heart be also. And so we need to pray against materialism this year. It's a corrupting influence in our life. In America, money is king. Right? We live in a consumeristic culture. We live in a hedonistic culture. We live in a materialistic culture. And it's so easy to get sucked up in, into the mindset, the spirit of the age. Many of the institutions, dare I say, many of the institutions that presume uh, to represent God have been corrupted by money, by money in America. The Bible translation industry, don't get me wrong, there's some good people, sincere people, not necessarily pharisaical, although there's some of those, but um, that industry, the Christian media industry, good people, there's some good people in there. The music industry, there's some good people, please don't get me wrong, some good people though have been corrupted. And the bottom line becomes not being a blessing, not representing God. The bottom line becomes sales. And it's so easy. It creeps into our lives. It creeps into the church. We need to pray against it. It's the spirit of the age. A materialistic mindset. Prepare against it. Pr uh, pr uh, pray against it. Ask God for a spirit of contentment. Obviously, Jesus was very upset here because money was motivating their ministry. And the epistles warn us about this. One of the characteristics, Paul said, of a false teacher is that they make merchandise of people. Godliness to them is a, 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 a pretentious godliness is a means to material gain. And if Jesus were to come here in, in America today and view America, American Christianity, he may have to clean house if he, if he came today. He may have to come and overturn some tables and say, this is, not what I, this is not what I planned for in the house of God. If he came to our homes, if he came into our personal lives, we, we might have to ask ourselves uh, this morning as we enter in the new year, we all need to ask ourselves, what good and godly thing has been degraded in my life because of the love of money? What good and godly thing in my life has been degraded because of the love of money? Has been diminished? Covetousness is a, is a mother sin that brings to birth many other sins and consequences. That's why it says the love of money is the root of all evil. It's a mother sin that breeds other sins. In the Bible, we read some of the most serious consequences connected with covetousness. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden because of covetousness and were expelled. Achan stole and he and his family were stoned to death because of covetousness. 
Gehazi lusted after money. He deceived his master, and God smote him with leprosy because of his covetousness. The nation of Israel lusted in the desert, the Bible says. They wanted more than the manna God provided, and God fulfilled their desires and sent leanness to their soul. He gave them what they wanted, but sent leanness to their soul. And they didn't enter into the promised land because of covetousness. Ananias and Sapphira were made an example. They lied and hid money. They pretended to offer their all to the church, but they kept some for themselves. And God took their life because of covetousness. The prodigal son, uh, that's a parable, but he ended up in the pig pen because of covetousness. Demas left the ministry because he loved this present world. He left the ministry of God because of covetousness. Money. He left the ministry because he loved this present world. And Judas, of course, betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. This year, let's all commit together to pray against materialism. Let's all pray against covetousness. One of the most subtle sins, but one of the most serious sins with the most serious consequences. Let's pray against it. Let's prepare against it. Let's ask God this year to give us a spirit of contentment. What is contentment? God is enough. Would you say that with me? God is enough, and what he's provided for me is enough. He's given me the ability to work. He's given me a, a task. He's provided income. What God has provided is enough. Thank you, God, for what you've provided. So we see in this divine inspection, this isn't pleasant right up front, is it? This, this is convicting. This speaks to me and all of us. We need to pray against the spirit of materialism. Number two, I notice that he found neglect when he went to the temple. He found neglect. And the one leads to the other. Look what it says in verse 13. Again, he said unto them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. My house should not be characterized by what you're doing here. My house, the house of God, should be characterized by prayer. Prayer. Be, the, simple, the simple thought is uh, that because of these money-making ventures that they were involved in, they were not involved in the more important activity of prayer, praise, these more important things, prayer, praise, meeting the practical needs of the people. These should be the hallmark of the house of God. Let me say those again. Prayer, praise, and meeting the practical needs of people. Let's read on here, and you'll see this. Verse 13, he said, my house should be called the house of prayer. He's citing the Old Testament there, by the way. Verse 14, and the blind and the lame came unto him in the temple, and what did he do? He healed them. He said, this is what we ought to be doing, meeting the needs of people. Verse 15, and when the chief priests and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying in the temple and saying, Hosanna to the son of David, they were sore displeased. And said unto him, Hearest thou what these say? 
And Jesus said unto them, hey, I'm paraphrasing, the kids got it down. The children have it right. They're praising me like you should be praising me. Hey, hey, just watch the video of when our children sang in the Christmas service a couple weeks ago. They know how to do it without inhibition. Now, they were doing some other things, okay? They were doing some other things. I, heard, I was up there singing with them in the one part, and I heard laughing going on. I said, I don't think they're laughing at me, but I couldn't see what was going on beside me, but I knew something was going on. But those kids, you watch that video again, they were singing out. They weren't worried about inhibition. They were praising the God with their whole heart. And Jesus said, look at verse 16, Yea, have ye never read? Out of the mouth of babes and sucklings thou hast perfected praise. Kids know how to praise God. Can I get an amen? Do you remember how you used to sing in children's church? Hey, come on. Do you remember? I know how I used to sing. And I still try to do it that way. When I get up to lead singing, Tony's with me on this. Okay, he left. Tony left. Okay, there he is over there. Tony left the service. I'm using him as an example of spirituality and he leaves the service. No, there he is. Okay, he's with his wife. Oh, praise God. Hey, when we get up to sing, right, and we're leading folks in, this, in the praise of God, I pray to myself, I say, God, help me to forget the crowd out there and just sing. Sing with my whole heart. Jesus is saying here, hey, this is what should characterize the house of God. Prayer, praise, exuberant like children do. Crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. He, God said, Jesus said, that's how I like it, right there. And meeting the needs of people. Prayer, praise, meeting the needs of people. But instead, you guys are making money. These three activities are the hallmarks of the house of God. Prayer, praise, and meeting the needs of people. Have any other activities taken these, taken the place of these? Is a desire for a person or thing leading us away from full obedience, duty, ministry, devotion? Then more than likely... We've given in to the spirit of coveting. The strength of our church in the new year will be seen and gauged by these three things. Are we committed to the house of God? Are we committed to worshiping God with our whole heart? Are, are we committed to making our worship a witness to this lost world? Are we committed to prayer? And are we committed to separating ourselves into the service of God and meeting the needs of people? And if Campus Church, if we get into all of that and we do that together, God's got some great things this year for us. He's going to do some amazing things through us, through us individually and through this church. And we're not sufficient for this standard. We have to pray for it. We have to prepare for it. We, ask to, we have to ask God to give it to us. But he said, I see, in this, I see in this temple a spirit of neglect. The things you ought to be doing, you're not doing to the extent you should. And if Jesus were to make a personal visit today, would he say that to us? Let's pray that he, 
that he would not find that in our lives and in our church. We are the temple of God. We are the temple of God. I don't know about you, but I grew up in a clean house. I like a clean house. My mother, oh, she was clean. You know, my, I, can, I, can, I can picture my mother right now mopping the floor with the old style mops. You know what I mean? Or she would mop the floor, and if there was something on the floor that she couldn't get up with the mop, you know what she did? She got on her hands and knees and got that thing off. You could eat off the floor at our house. That's how I grew up. It was hard for me to come to college and have roommates, okay? <laughs> I could tell some stories, but I don't want to sicken anyone. Anyway, I would pick up for my roommates. I couldn't stand it. Like, what are you, what are you I, I have my shirt pile, my pants pile. You know, I'm like, what are you doing? Did your mother not teach you? Let me help you. Let me help you show you how to fold those. It's amazing. They can be folded. <laughs> hey, every time I mention my wife from the pulpit, I have to pay her. So I'm going to have to pay her for this. But it's worth it. My wife keeps a clean house. She keeps a clean house. That's why I married her. One of the reasons. <laughs> One of the reasons. Not the only reason. <laughs> but she keeps a clean house. And I love it. I come home from work and, and it's just, it, it's clean. And I help her. I hope she would say I'm a help to her. I mentioned her twice, now I owe her more. I, I hope she would say that I help her. Hey, listen, God likes a clean house. He likes a clean house. And God says, through, through this passage, Jesus is saying to us, let's clean it up. Let's keep materialism out. Let's keep the spirit of covetousness out. Let's be involved in the things that we should. Prayer, praise, meeting the needs of people. That's what I want to see in my house. Number three. Number three, we'll spend some time on this last one. He saw materialism. Let's pray against it. He saw neglect. Let's pray against it. Last of all, and they all build on, the, uh, on themselves, there's a progression here. He saw barrenness. I find the next passage interesting. So he walks out of the temple, and in the morning, verse 18, he leaves the temple, he returns to the city, he's hungry, verse 19, he sees a fig tree. He came to it, it says, and found nothing thereon but leaves only. Now this is interesting. Fig trees do not blossom. They're, they're very... Uh, interesting and unique this way. And many times the fruit comes before the leaves. So if you walk up to a fig tree and all there is is leaves on it, something's probably wrong. And Jesus said, there's only leaves? Where's the fruit? And look what he does. He says, let no fruit grow on it thenceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. Now, those of you Bible scholars out there, you know exactly what the symbolism here is here. It doesn't make sense at first reading. <laughs> Why would God hold an inanimate object responsible for not bearing fruit? I mean, there's a nitrogen problem in the water, uh, in, in, the, in the ground. There's not enough water that year. Somebody didn't prune it. Not its fault. So why would he hold this inanimate object responsible for not bearing fruit? Well, there's a symbolism in the passage. In Hosea chapter 9, God said, 
that when he first started a relationship with the forefathers of Israel, they were like fruit-bearing fig trees. Look it up. He said, you were like fruit-bearing fig trees. And then he goes on to say, since then, you have gone after other ways, and I will smite you until your roots are dry. God said that he would cast the nation of Israel away from his position, from the place of blessing. Now God will bring them back. Uh, uh, Jews can still be saved today. But the nation of Israel as a whole has been taken away from their special place of blessing. And God, Jesus said it right here, this is a prophecy. He would cast them away. They would wander among the nations. And this was fulfilled 40 years after Jesus said this. Jesus cursed the fig tree, the nation of Israel. The Romans came in and destroyed the city of Jerusalem. And the Jews were scattered around the world. And the point here is that because of their distraction to their devotion... To God, they were involved in this unproductive activity. They were barren. They had leaves but no fruit. A pretentious profession but no real fruit. Busy for God in the name of God but barren. Oh, may God never say that of me. May God never say that of you. May God never say that of us. You're busy, but barren. You see, the Bible talks about fruit, and it relates it to the Christian life in a simple way. What is fruit? It's that which a healthy plant produces. It's the natural effect of organic life. And so Jesus says, if you're abiding in me, if you're abiding in me, if you are communing close with me, if you are making me the priority of your life, well then, if your devotional life is vibrant and real, fruit's going to come out. What's the fruit? The fruit of our life. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering or patience and endurance. Gentleness, meekness, temperance. All of these character traits of the character of Christ will come out of our life. Our life will produce the fruit of the Spirit and then the fruit of our lips. And these two go together. You can't have one without the other. And it really produced fruit. The fruit of our lips. And that's what we find in the, in the book of Matthew and other places, Matthew chapter 9. And that's winning people to Christ. The fruit of winning souls to Christ. Our life is a witness. The character that comes out of our life is a witness. And then we're giving other people the gospel. And we're sowing seeds of the gospel. And people's lives are blessed by the, the seed being planted in their heart and they come to Christ. Now, we might just sow the seed and someone else water it. They might not come to Christ directly because of our witness, but we're getting the gospel out. We're representing Christ. We're praising the Lord in public. We're giving out a good word for God. We're handing out tracts. We're, we're, we're targeting people for evangelism. And the Bible says because of that, fruit comes out of our life, winning people to Christ. The fruit of our life, the fruit of our lips, they go together. The one produces the other. And without either, our life has little or no result for eternity. 
In fact, in one of, in one of the most poignant and serious passages in, in the book of 1 Peter, we read that it's possible for a Christian to go long seasons being barren and unfruitful. Now, what if I came to your house uh, with a housewarming gift? You bought a new house. We're, we're thankful for you. It's a big, beautiful house. God bless you, okay? And so I come over, my wife and I, Stacy, I mentioned her three times. Boy, I or um, My wife and I come over. She makes beautiful baskets, okay? And we come over, and we have a housewarming gift. We've done this before. We have a housewarming gift for you, and so we're going to bring you a fruit basket, okay? And we come to your house, and we ring the doorbell. We, we, we set up an appointment. We tell you we're coming, okay? We have something for you. Okay, wow. So we come over, and we have this basket, and uh, we go to present it to you, and you notice as you look in that it's empty. Now, hopefully you wouldn't say anything. Maybe you would. Maybe the shock would just overwhelm you, and you would say something. But you might say, um, gently, kindly, that's interesting. Thank you for the basket. I thought you said it was a fruit basket. And I say to you, please, just use your imagination. It'd be like Christmas, you open up a box and there's nothing in it. Just use your imagination. Picture what you want in there. You would be offended. You would be disappointed. You would hate me. <laughs> Maybe not. Now, what if I came to your house? Now, that's just ridiculous. <laughs> that's, what a farce. You would never do that. No, I wouldn't. Okay. Uh, but let's say I came to your house. And I said, I called you on the phone. I said, we want to come with a, a housewarming gift. We have a fruit basket for you. I come to your house. I come with this big basket, and there's one fig in it. By the way, how many of you like fig newtons? Would you raise your hand? I do. Fig newton lovers, I'm with you, okay? I've never eaten a fig, though, without sugar added to it. I don't know what it tastes like. But let's say I had, I know what they look like. They're little. Let's say I had a basket with one fig. I told you it was a fruit basket. You would say, well, that's nice, Pastor Zach. Uh, in your head, you're going, is that all? Is that all? You know what the Bible says? God wants us to bear fruit, more fruit, and much You wouldn't be pleased by that. God's not pleased unless he sees fruit, more fruit, much fruit. You might say, Pastor Zach, I believe I'm bearing fruit. I'm with you on this message. I'm praying. I want to pray against those things. I do not want to be barren. I don't want to be involved in neglect. I don't want to let the love of money take over my ministry and my devotion for the Lord and distract me from my true calling in life. I believe I'm bearing fruit. Let's all pray for more fruit and much fruit. Let's all pray this year that God takes us to a higher level of fruitfulness. 
That would be a great prayer, a consistent prayer. God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. God, use me this year. God, God, would you use me to the greatest extent possible? Would you use my life and ministry, my personal witness? Would you use me this year, 2022, to the greatest extent possible? God may have to do some pruning this year. A branch with one bunch of figs is alive, but it needs pruning to produce more. In the winter months, the farmer would come and he'd clip the dead parts of the branches to bring forth new life. He would clip off that which was of lower quality to bring more. What does God do? And he may do it with us this year. Let's receive it. Let's accept it. He may take away the old to make room for the new. He may take away the okay to make room for the excellent. The process of pruning hurts, but God takes away so that he can produce more. He takes away so that he can produce more. Because he says, "Uh, if you'll abide in me, if you'll abide in me, you will produce fruit, more fruit, and much fruit. If Jesus were to visit today, what would be his evaluation? If he were to personally, physically visit and have a conversation with us, what would our, his evaluation be? If he were to visit our home, if he were to visit our church, When God does his inspection, what does he find? Before he does something drastic to discipline us, let's prepare and pray against these things in our life this year. Pray for a spirit of contentment, not materialism, not covetousness. Pray that we are fully engaged in the work of the Lord, not neglect and barrenness, so that God can produce the fruit that he wants to produce in our life.